This is the Love Loch Lomond podcast, your guide to all that's good and beautiful Loch Lomond. This is episode four of the Love Loch Lomond podcast. I'm Paul Saunders. This time I'm in Helensborough, Luss and Aberfoyle for some exploring and some adventure. Thanks for downloading the podcast and here's a taster of what's to come over the next 20 minutes or so. Coming up. I notice when people come into this room, no matter what language they speak, the first word they say is, wow. Trying to eat some of the fodder there, including Wudan, so it's really an interesting experience for them. He's going at some speed there. It's around about uh, between 80 and 20 miles an hour in the middle, and he'll start to slow down to more of a 15 to 12 miles an hour at the far side, just before he lands in the wood chip. This is the Love Lock Lomond podcast with Paul Saunders. I've come to Helensborough for the start of this podcast. I'm at the Baumillig Bed and Breakfast with John Urquhart, its owner. Hi, John. Hi, Paul. And we're going to go on a bit of an adventure today, aren't we? Oh, I hope so. Uh, we're going to visit a few places around Helensborough and on the Three Lost Way, I believe, and around about the Clyde Sea Lost Trail. Lots of highlights around here, lots of good things to do. And you get quite actively involved as well, because as well as the bed and breakfast that you've got here, you're also a guide, Loman Guides. That's right, we've been uh, operating Loman Guides for the last five or six years, uh, and so that works quite well with the bed and breakfast, um, because we're able to offer uh, our, our guests uh, something else, and uh, of course our idea is to, is to hope to persuade them to stay a bit longer and to return. And we can't be in Helensborough without seeing one of its major attractions, if not the best attraction, which is the Hill House. Indeed it is. It has uh, something like 30,000 visitors a year to it. It's one of the main reasons that people come to stay with us and they're coming to see the Hill House. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it. We'll be going there very soon. John, one of the many hats that you wear is chairman of Love Lock Lomond and also from Love Lock Lomond is Leslie Judge. Leslie's responsible for social media and you do such a brilliant job, Leslie, in keeping our Facebook and Twitter accounts bang up to date. And I'm pleased it's not just you doing all the work. There's lots of people from all over the world that are interacting too with us, aren't there? And they're sharing lots of things. Give us an idea of what they're sharing. They're sharing lots of great images of uh, kayaking, um, canoeing, water sports, wakeboarding, uh, walks, um, and just generally talking about where they've been and what they've enjoyed. And this is a really useful kind of way of finding out what to do in the area, isn't it? Because if you see that somebody's had a really good time and they've really enjoyed what they've done, it can give you ideas. It can, and I think it inspires others um, and then we usually ask, we like to ask people, you know, when did, what, where, where were you? What was your trip? Um, where did you stay? And then um, they'll share that. They'll maybe talk about where they went to eat, where they stayed. We'll ask them to recommend walks and things. So everybody benefits from it and it's great for us to get feedback as well. And where do you find that you get most of the interaction from? Is it people in the area or does it stretch out further to the rest of Scotland, maybe the rest of the UK, maybe the rest of the world? There's a lot, there's 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 a whole lot of different groups. There's there's quite a lot of local people um, to the area who like to um, share things and probably like to know what's going on because we, we post a lot of information about what's going on in the area. But there's also a lot of people from further out in the UK, um, from south of England, um, other parts of England who have visited the area and like to come back on holiday and there's also people um, in the States, Canada, uh, we've got some people in Germany who just love, um, who ask 
for photographs of um, the flowers, spring flowers, or uh, you know tulips or daffodils or whatever, and they're um, equally interested in in wildlife and things like that. So it's um, really quite varied. It's been really good to see how it's grown so much over the last kind of year or so, and. I guess it, you, you just don't know what's going to happen on a particular day, do you? Because you, you don't know what, what pictures are going to be shared or what people are going to say. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, we can Is have... that a good thing? No, yes, yes, yes. Normally it's a good thing. We like to have a really sort of diverse mix, as diverse as possible. Um, a mixture of, you know, there's always lots lots going on in and around Loch Lomond. Um, and it's great if, if we can get um, a great cross-section of activities Um and also just great images that people want to share with us. Um, if you know, people just love photographs, and uh, it's a great way for people to interact and engage and uh, and make contacts and find out more about the area, um, which is what we want them to do. Um, and on Twitter as well, people love love um, taking pictures of, of views. Um, there's lots of golf um, photographs on there. It could be you know anything really, um, and it's it's important for us to keep um, you know sort of generating that content. Tweet us at Love Loch Lomond. Now, have you ever been to the David Marshall Lodge in Aberfoyle and witnessed people harnessed up with a look of nervous tension on their faces? Those are the ones just about to zip wire through the forest on the Go Ape Adventure. Equally, you see the ones coming back with huge smiles on their faces. I've done it. It's incredible. The adrenaline pumps as you step off into nothing and zip wire high above the trees. I recently went back to meet the Go8 manager, Tom Patton, and asked him to describe the adventure course that awaits you once you've glided to the other side of the forest. It's off at 15 feet. Uh, increases up to about 50 feet on the, our last uh, Site 5. Uh, and within that, uh, the course itself gets progressively harder as you go around. And there's uh, five sites to complete. And then you head back on this uh, lovely mammoth uh, zip line of 426 metres and round about 150 feet from the ground as you leave the trees. And I've been past many times and seen how popular it is. I've had a go myself. Yeah. And, I mean, everybody, it's for everybody, isn't it? This is, this is not the super elite, super fit kind Absolutely of thing. This is, I've seen everybody go on this. Yes, definitely. This is anybody that has a 10-year-old child that has a, a craving for a little bit of adrenaline where parents aren't too keen, where the, the, the children take on the supportive role instead of the other way around and uh, help them get around right the course. Uh, we are main... Uh, criteria is families with uh, any amount of children. You know, it could be a single parent comes along just with one child or a full family day out to stag hens or just a, a group of friends that are out for the day. So Stephen, one of the instructors here, has uh, kindly offered to show me and the people waiting for uh, their experience exactly what to do here. What Stephen's uh, attaching himself onto here is our safety system for ladders. Uh, it's um, a small green myon. Uh, we move two safety lines up to another myon. Uh, we always make sure that our customers only move one at a time, so they follow our golden rule, which is always staying attached. And what Stephen's going to do now is climb up. When he gets to the top, you'll step onto a platform. Uh, around that platform, there's a, a red cable, uh, which is a part of our safety system itself, which you'll move one of these safety lines back onto that uh, one at a time, make sure they're closed and then he'll detach from the ladder itself and then he'll be ready to move on to the next thing which is our first obstacle in the course which is the Amazon Bridge. The Amazon Bridge itself, all it is is uh, two cables, uh, one for your feet and uh, one for the safety system to go into. So Stephen if you can attach on, there you go. So, so what this is doing is, this is really making sure that somebody can 
can do it whilst they're whilst they're here before they go yeah. off on the zip wire it's making sure that they can do everything that they're likely to be doing when they get over the other side what it is it's a, it's an and instilling the the safety system that we've got in place uh, and just uh, what changes is the obstacles themselves uh, but the safety system itself stays the same throughout okay. the course Stephen you're just going to start walking now on this uh, on the wire that's going across harnessed in at the top as you're just describing and he's going across you can hear the pulley going on that uh, and now he's clipping back onto the safety system and uh, now he's going to be faced by a 400 meter zip line Okay, now we're going to hear this wonderful noise, I think, in the moment as you uh, as you zip down there, Stephen. So you're all attached in there. You're all ready. Yep. You've probably done this a hundred million times. Yeah, and here we go. Uh, and he's off. He's going at some speed there. It's around about uh, between 80 and 20 miles an hour in the middle. And you'll start to slow down to more of a 15 to 12 miles an hour at the far side just before he lands in the wood chip and there and then he'll be over on the other side where to take part in all the other the all obstacles the, that you've got over there all the other fun that we have yeah all the fun there okay uh, so now everybody's seen what there is to do and it's now their turn so thank you very much for no problem. showing us what they're and I think these people will have a wonderful time too excellent no no I do you will and uh, it's quite a nice day today as well Gary's with me now, he's from Denny, he's just taken the, the zip wire across, the, the, the end bit as you come back and you had a big smile on your face. Uh, the first time you've done that? Yes. What did you think? It was fantastic. You really enjoy it. What, yeah. what was the best bit? Um, the bit where you've got to walk across between the trees with no hands. Did, did you find it was getting easier as you were doing the different parts of the course? Or was it the opposite? Was it getting more difficult? Yeah, it seemed to progress um, part all the way through the course, getting a bit more difficult as you go on. Um, but certainly got a lot more confident when hooking onto the lines um, and using them as you go and having a bit more confidence in the harness. Because at the start, having done this before, I, I remember this, is that you're, you're, starting, you're really thinking about it, aren't you, when you're, when you're doing it? And so you should, because yep. for safety reasons, but uh, I get to the point where you get that confidence where, you, yes, I know what I'm doing, I'm clipping on and I'm doing it all right, so I'll just concentrate on what I've got to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely, it was, it was great. Um, yeah, I'm definitely confident with it now. I'd love you, to go back and try you, it again. I was going to say, yeah. you're going to come back and have another yeah, go. definitely. Yeah. yeah, bring some friends with me as well. Good, well, thank you very much. I'm glad you had a good time. No problem, thank you. For Loch Lomond, Strathendrick, Western Bartonshire and the Clyde Sea Locks, this is the Love Loch Lomond podcast. Well done, Gary, and thanks to Tom and Steve from Go Ape in Aberfoyle. This is Paul Saunders. Thank you for downloading this podcast. It's episode four in the series of five. And right now, John and I have moved to the spectacular Charles Rennie McIntosh Hill House in Helensburgh. We're not actually in it. In fact, I'm going to go in it in a minute. We're in the car park. But we're in the car park not just because we're going to go into the Hill House, but because we're on the Three Locks Way. John, you've been very involved in getting this started. Tell me all about it. Okay, well, we're right on it. There's the signpost there, Paul. You can see Rue Marina, 3.8 kilometres, Glenfruin, 4.2 kilometres, and you can see the little logo there, Three Logs Way. I'm going to brush under some trees here. Watch it get a bit wet, maybe. Okay, we're on the trail now, and uh, my involvement with this uh, goes back about six or seven years when I retired from school teaching. I got involved with a body called Helmsburg District Access Trust, and uh, their elderly secretary was looking for someone to take forward this idea of a trail that would link Balloch with Helensburgh 
and uh, various villages in, uh, up the west side of uh, Loch Lomond uh, along the the, uh, the sea lochs in, in that area, the Loch and Loch Long. And uh, I said, well, I've got time, I'll, I'll take it on, little realising how it was going to take over my life. <laughs> it's been a huge task, but we're really getting there now, and we've, we've got this... A uh, walking route from Balach to Helensburgh to Gaelic Head up to Aracher and, and uh, Tarbot and in, right, then right up to Inverugles. Uh, it's becoming very popular. We've got a website and it's now been uh, recognised by Scottish Natural Heritage as one of Scotland's great trails, which uh, we're really pleased about. And the great thing is that this is providing more activities for people to do when they visit Loch Lomond, isn't it? It is indeed, uh, and I think that's good for Loch Lomond in that it takes some of the pressure off the loch. Many people will know that uh, Loch Lomond is under tremendous pressure from the two million or so visitors who come to it every year. Uh, And uh, the the Three Locks Way brings people to a quieter part of the area, uh, and a stunning part of the area too, and an interesting part too, with the fascinating towns like Helensburgh, uh, interesting places like Gaelichhead with its naval connections, and uh, up to Aracher and Tarbert with uh, some interesting heritage up there to do with Vikings. And you know what? (laughs) When we've been doing this podcast, we've been so lucky we've had really good weather. The weather today, I have to be honest, you might be able to hear the rain... (laughs) Is is not so good, but but what you do get is the sense that this is a kind of a any weather kind of opportunity. People just get their waterproofs on and away they go. And we're just seeing some people walking past us now, and they're they're just dressed appropriately. Indeed, it's uh, there's no such thing as bad weather. It's just just uh, bad modes of dress. And here's here are these people dressed well <laughs> with their cagoules on. Although having said that, I think I am going to go back inside now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take it personally, will you? I'm off into the Hill House, and I'm going to meet Lorna Hepburn, who manages the National Trust property. Uh, She's promised me a guided tour. We're in the drawing room of the Hill House, which was one of Charles Rennie McIntosh's masterpieces. I notice when people come into this room, no matter what language they speak, the first word they say is, wow, because you're struck by the beautiful natural light that comes in through the windows, which are south-facing the beautiful light-coloured walls and the sheer detail everywhere you look, there is more decorative detail on the wallpaper, the furniture, the fireplace. Everything just kind of makes you want to go and look at it and take in all the detail. And you talked about the reaction from people walking into the room. I share their wow moment. I'm I'm very keen to go and look at some of the detail here. Let's Let's go over to... A beautiful fireplace. And just describe what we've got here. Well, the fireplace is decorated with very, very small colours in muted natural colours and also has kind of oval shapes decorated with mirrored glass and with tiles in shades of purple and pink. Now, actually, the materials are relatively simple, but the effect you get is just so beautiful, so stylish. Um, that it does this area, this corner of the room of the fireplace really draws your eye when you come in. And it's what you mentioned earlier in terms of the the light coming in. Mm. Uh, I've been to the house for an art lover. In fact, I got married there. And again, very similar, the light coming in. This is obviously a Macintosh feature. Yes. Other typical features of Macintosh's style that you'll see in here are the roses. You notice the roses round the walls. And the 
the playing around with cubes and squares, which you'll see in the furniture, but you'll also see evidence of his artistic partnership with his wife, Margaret MacDonald Macintosh, again an artist in her own right, and she designed and ex executed this lovely gesso panel above the fireplace. It's called the Sleeping Princess. You can see the princess sleeping there at the kind of at the heart of a enchanted forest, I suppose, with, with roses. Done by Margaret in 1908. Very, very suitable for a family who published fairy tales and also a family with four young daughters growing up. You know, they were, I suppose, sleeping princesses living in this house. And I think what's so nice is that everybody can come and have a look at this because the, the fact that it's now National Trust property and it means that people can come and visit is such a good thing. Yes, it has been a National Trust for Scotland property since about 1982, um, but we have done a lot of work here. We've uncovered a lot more of the decoration, um, which had actually been forgotten. It was a bit like archaeology, unpeeling layers to find these beautiful um, interior decorations. I've really enjoyed this podcast today because it's been so varied and it's been very good to come and see the Hill House today. So thank you very much for showing me around, Lorna. Thank you very much. Lovelocklomond.com I have come along to the other side of Helensburg to Reiki Hands Holistic Therapies and Beryl, who's with me, who's going to tell us all about warm bamboo treatments. What is that? It's a really lovely treatment. Um, it originates uh, in southeastern Asia. Not a lot's known about the history about warm bamboo massage. I first experienced a treatment on a cruise and decided that I would like to be able to offer that to clients. Basically, the bamboos are different sizes and widths and lengths of bamboo, and they are warmed. And then I use a carrier oil to help uh, move the bamboo along the body. Uh, the movements are slightly different. They're gliding um, and sliding movements, very relaxing, particularly around the shoulders where people have a lot of tension. Um, it's just a really, really lovely treatment. And what's been so good about this podcast is just really meeting lots and lots of different people who are all offering a different service because this is a service obviously for locals as well, but for people who are coming to stay in the area. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely for anybody. People who live in Helensburgh um, could have regular treatments just as a maintenance really for health and well-being, uh, give them some relaxation, help them sleep. Uh, relieve any muscular tension. People who um, are sitting at computers all day and they have a lot of tension, it will help ease that. This is the Love Lock Loman podcast. And there's more from Helensburgh later on in this podcast. And don't forget that you can download more in case you haven't heard them yet. Just go to iTunes and search for Love Lock Lomond and you'll find all the podcasts in the series. Now, I recently went to just south of Luss, where I just waited by the side of the loch for an adventure to come to its end. Wild by Nature had had a group out kayaking across the loch, and I was waiting for their leader to come back, Archie. And when he did, he told me what the group had been up to. Marvellous, they managed to circumnavigate the Inchtabanach uh, today, and we went for a walk in one of the islands to do a bit of exploring did a bit of information about uh, wildlife and uh, some of the creatures that uh, uh, live there and uh, tried to um, eat some of the, the fodder there, including wood ants. So it was really an interesting experience for them. 
So the experience is not just about the kayaking, although that's the main thing, because you, you see you on the on the loch quite often, um, enjoying the uh, enjoying the, the water. But there's actually a lot more to it. Well, there is. It, uh, certainly, there's a huge amount of uh, bushcraft interest uh, these days. People like to know a little bit more about the natural world around them and how they could potentially survive in it, or how their ancestors survived on it. Uh, the Kayaks here, and, and we also use open canoes, are just the vehicles for being able to access these very interesting and iconic places. We went up to the top of one of the islands and the view was just stunning from there. Unless you had a, a boat of some kind to get you out there, that you just would never see that view. Because you get a different view when you're on I mean, just just the closeness you are to the level of the water as well. Yes, you're very much involved with the natural environment. Uh, kayaks aren't uh, as dangerous as people might perceive. But you certainly begin to realise that you are still uh, dependent on survival in the natural world. The natural world is all around you and it's, uh, we don't have the technology when we're out here just to switch on electricity or uh, you can't just start up a motor. We have to actually physically get us cells from A to B and deal with uh, the challenges that the natural world uh, put in front of us. I'm going to have to have a go at this uh, experience because it looks tremendous fun. No? Will you show me what to do? Right, okay. Uh, well, the most important thing is uh, when you get into a kayak is really to uh, make sure that you feel balanced well. An important little exercise to do there is basically to hold your paddle in the air, keep your head and shoulders still and wiggle your hips. And you can feel the kayak then underneath you moving about, but you as a, a centre of gravity, your centre of gravity isn't moving. Now that means that if a wave then hits you, your body will automatically react to that and you'll stay upright and you'll be less likely to capsize. So that gets the automated systems inside your brain working. Apart from that, it's really just as a matter of pushing the kayak forward. There are paddle strokes for turning the kayak. What you might want to do if you want to turn more efficiently is to have the paddle go out in what we call a sweep stroke, which is from the very front to the very back, but it goes out in a very wide, low arc shape. You're then providing uh, driving power only in the centre, but both the front end and the back end are having turning power added to them, and the kayak turns in the direction you want to go. So if your kayak's going off the direction you want, then you just add one of those in every now and again and it gets it back online and uh, that's one of the techniques about paddling efficiently, getting in a straight line from A to B uh, without using too much energy. If you use reverse paddle strokes to try and correct the kayak, you stop it and then of course you've got to start it again, which is a waste of energy. So those forward sweep strokes are a very key and important part in paddling efficiently. Right, thank you very much Archie, off he goes. This is just great fun and there's so many islands to explore in the loch as well and so many different places as well. What a brilliant idea, what a brilliant way to spend a day. What to see and do, where to stay, lovelochloman.com Thank you Archie, a really varied podcast this time and we are at my final destination, Glenfruin. With me is a very noisy peacock. <laughs> and also, John Oak. It is a very no They're that always noisy. Me. That wasn't me, Paul, by the way. <laughs> Let's just tell everybody exactly where we are. Okay, we're in Upper Glenfruin at a place called Strone House, which is a, a really a historic building. It'll go back to the 17th century, I'm sure, you know, thereabouts. And it would have been here at the time of the, of the Battle of Glenfruin. We're not far, really, from the battlefield. In fact, it may well have been fought round about here. So this is quite a historic location, quite an atmospheric place, I think you'll agree, Paul. It is, yes. 
So, and of course, we're also on the Three Lost Way. We're still on the Three Lost Way. This is this is the part of the Three Lost Way which is actually on the public highway, the old Glenfruin Road. It's a tarmac road, as you can see, but a single road with passing places and no traffic. We were saying earlier that this would be very good to cycle on as well. Yes, I mean, it's level. Glenfruin is really quite a level glen. So it's, on, the, on the Three Lost Way website, we, we say to people, this is a good place for family cycling. And of course, it's also ideal for people in wheelchairs. Uh, and uh, just looking around, you can see it is a beautiful glen, very peaceful and quiet and just a, a delightful place. And John, we were talking earlier about Loman Guides and you're taking people all across the area. Uh, this is presumably one spot you take them. Where else do you take them? Yeah, well, we go all over. I mean, I'm often asked to take people up Ben Lomond. Uh, ben Nevis too, but we're talking about Loch Lomond area here today, obviously. And you were telling me earlier on the on the journey here that uh, you took a very famous person up Ben Lomond. We did indeed, yes. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I was approached by uh, John Lindsay, uh, a school friend of Sir Jackie Stewart. And he, John wanted to give Sir Jackie... Uh, uh, a, a unique birthday present. So I was asked to take the two of them up Ben Lomond. So uh, I had these two 70-year-olds uh, to take up Ben Lomond, and that was a fascinating experience. They both did extremely well, I have to say. Uh, Sir Jackie's sons were there too, and they gave us a hand. But Sir Jackie was amazing, uh, a very fit 70-year-old, I can tell you. So he fairly romped up the Ben. I could hardly <laughs> keep up with him. But it was fascinating to, just to, to listen to Sir Jackie talk about his life. At one point, we, we paused and Sir Jackie looked over the loch towards the Lus Hills and said to his two boys, he says, I know every inch of those hills. So her ears pricked up, of course, as to how Sir Jackie knew every inch. And it turned out that that was his first job when he left Dumbarton Academy, when he left school. And he was a ghillie on the on Lus Estates there. And, of course, Sir Jackie had a, a very good eye for a, for a shot and did, uh, in, his, in his youth, did very well at clay pigeon shooting. He was a champion. And I think that hand-eye coordination obviously fed into the motor racing too. So interesting to get that insight into, into Sir Jackie's early, early life. Well, John, thank you very much for your company today and for sharing your knowledge about the area. And thanks also to everyone else involved in this podcast. Don't forget to find out more about all of the places and activities. If you want to do that, then just go to our website, lovelocklomond.com. And the next podcast is the final one in the series. We're lining up some real treats. In the meantime, thanks for listening. This podcast was produced for Love Lock Lomond by Paul Saunders Media. For more information, go to lovelocklomond.com.